keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bun in country Got a big show today. We've been talking a lot about the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic, the 20th anniversary celebration coming up on Saturday. So today we will go back 20 years and reminisce on how this whole thing got started. Bob Fitzgerald of Krause Anderson was in the middle of it all, and he tells us the story next. Plus another great story. If you haven't checked out the pictures on Paul Bunyan Country Facebook page yet, Steve Sapaniak of Predator Guide Service and one of his clients got a 55-inch muskie off Malax earlier this week. He's got all the details. And, of course, it's Lake of the Weekday. Mark Bacigalupi of the Brainerd Area Fisheries Office has the details on that. It's all coming up today. Welcome to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We continue our week-long look at uh, some of the things going on with the 20th anniversary of the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic. Of course, no Walleye Classic last year, so they pushed the 20th anniversary back a year. We got a big celebration, 20 extra teams, uh, $20,000 prize, but it all started 20 years ago, and it was the Krauss Anderson Walleye Classic then, and the guy who was in the middle of it was Bob Fitzgerald at Krauss Anderson, and he joins us today. Bob, thanks for joining us uh, and taking some time. We appreciate it. Uh, hey, Kev. Yeah, my pleasure to be here today and talk about the Walleye Classic. Uh, just a great community event. And as we were reminiscing a little bit off air, um, couldn't be prouder of where that thing's at today. It has certainly become a staple of the Bemidji Summer. It is a big event. It brings people from a lot of different uh, areas in to fish the tournament, and it's become uh, a very important part. And it started, uh, I, I guess, as an idea uh, at a table in the Krause Anderson offices somewhere, right? Yeah, actually, it was in a vehicle as we were driving down the road, <laughs> you know, 20, 21 years ago. Um, the uh, head of our office at that time, Clint Brucely, and I were, were returning from Duluth in a, in a meetings over there. And we started talking about what could we do in Bemidji to have kind of a community event, you know, that would... Um, showcase the community, showcase the resources that we have in the community, and just a really good way for Krauss Anderson to give something back to the community. Is That's very important to us and to within our core values as a company to, you know, not only build excellent projects, and, and but to build stronger communities. As a matter of fact, it's in our core purpose is to build enduring relationships and stronger communities. So you started talking about that. You wanted to come up with an idea, and how did the fishing tournament form uh, it was something that i had noticed we didn't have in bemidji and uh, you guys took care of that well you just nailed it on the head kev it, that's exactly what it was it was something that wasn't in the community at the time something that we felt would be different something that could add to the community and, and again showcase bemidji showcase the resource that we have in lake bemidji as well as lake irving and again, give back. It, it's you know, there's there was golf tournaments everywhere. There was other types of events, but we thought this would be something different, um, something that really fit a need and a desire. Um, as we talked about it more and more, we found out that there was a lot of a lot of enthusiasm behind it, not only from the anglers uh, but from the community as a whole in the region, quite frankly. 
How does something go from just an idea into a full-fledged tournament? There's so many moving parts. How do you make that happen? Well, first thing we did is we, we put together a group of people that had been involved in events before, meaning, quite frankly, uh, fishing tournaments. Um, we spoke with uh, Gary Barnard at the DNR, you know, because we had all of our I's dotted and T's crossed on that end because that's something we wanted to make sure of, that we weren't adversely impacting the resource and that we were working well with them. Then we got people on board, you know, that had experience in events. Um, you know, most notably uh, Jim Hernisman from Corner Sports, Rays Marine now, and uh, Tracy Pogue um, also picked the brain of uh, Chip Lear on this one who had run many, many events. And then we were very, <laughs> very fortuitous in the fact that uh, Cabela's, was a longtime client of Kraus Anderson's, and of course they had a tournament bus and trailer and had run tournaments before. So we leveraged that relationship and uh, got them to come to Bemidji. Um, not so coincidentally, one of the reasons they agreed to come here is because the Steve and Jalen, who were the uh, the two people, the husband and wife team that ran the tournament bus and trailer, their daughter was going to school here at the time. So it gave them the incentive to come to Bemidji, visit their daughter, and really put on a good show. And the ability to have Cabela's and their tournament equipment gave us instant validity as well. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, it was a big deal from the first tournament on. It was not like you had 30 boats that first tournament. You found a way to make it happen big right away. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, not only did we hit our 100 boats, but uh, we had a waiting list from day one. Um, and that waiting list just continued to grow, so we had to manage that and figure out, okay, you know, we wanted to give people who had taken a chance on us, really, and rolled the dice uh, to get into the tournament that first year. We wanted to give them the opportunity to continue to return year after year. So we, we did send uh, set up kind of a... I don't know if you want to call it a, a preference um, order for, for returning teams. Um, so that was fantastic. That worked out really well also. And, and we had some of the bigger names from around the area in there. You know, um, Harv Leak was involved right away, the Lucky Brothers, the Petersons, you know, right out of the chute. Um, you know, just uh, Steve Hawley, Larry uh, Runquist, you know, guys that just were well-known names in the region, um, for fishing and, and we're good sticks you know we had we had some of the best of the best right out of the shoot and uh from that point on it just kind of built every year um i know you you, you were you talked about giving back uh how did you go about the process of uh setting up your beneficiaries well first and foremost we looked at where was the needs you know what who had some of the greatest needs and everybody needs right but uh secondly we put together who had horsepower because you don't put on an event like this without a lot of volunteers so we from day one we made it a almost a requisite that if you were going to benefit from the event you had to participate in in the event meeting uh, volunteer for the event uh, be it your your organizers of your event the participants of your event so we had a lot of people from special olympics the scouts you know fishing has no boundaries youth hockey you know, it was just over and over, people just came out and supported the event because 
you know, to put on something like that, even though it, it's really a one-day event, it's not. It, it's a year-long thing, um, and, you know, it culminates with the actual event itself. So we'd have, you know, a couple hundred volunteers working out in the public eye as well as behind the scenes. Okay. And um, when you when you put it together, um, and, and the way you put it together, obviously you wanted it to have some staying power, but here we are 20 years later. Yeah, no question. You know, the, the folks I mentioned from Cabela's, they said typically these grassroots community-based events have a lifespan of, you know, maybe five to six years, and now it's uh, the 20th event coming up. So pretty proud of that fact and, and pretty proud of, of, of the community of Bemidji and how they've supported it. You know, it still brings, as we talk about this, I still envision, you know, Joe Vinny singing the national anthem and the scouts um, you know, presenting the colors and, and at attention in their uniforms, all the boat motors cut, you know, the sunrise coming over the east side of Lake Bemidji, and, and it just gives you goosebumps to be part of that, you know, a very small part of that. It, it makes you feel very, very special uh, for the people involved and the event itself, and I couldn't be prouder to play a small role in that as well as could be prouder of our community, you know. Uh, the mm-hmm. community just rolls out the red carpet as well from you know, the, 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 the restaurants, the bait shops, um, the people coming down to support it, you name it. Well, Cabela's told you five or six years, and then all of a sudden at 15 years, this thing was as big and bigger than ever. And it got to a point where for Kraus Anderson in the middle of construction season, it was taking a little bit too much time. Yeah, it, it, you're spot on. That's exactly what it was, Kev. It wasn't that we didn't want to do the event anymore, but we just felt, you know, hey, we're a construction company. We're not event planners, um, even though we did it quite well. Uh, even when Cabela's decided that they didn't want to do the regional tournaments anymore and just went to more to national stage, you know, we, we found a way to uh, buy our own trailer and, and, and equipment to make this thing run efficiently. And it really got to a stage where it was becoming really consuming, and um, we just decided it was time, you know. It was, it was like you you, uh, you conceive a child, you raise a child, and, and now it was for someone else to uh, take over and, and really take that to the next level, you know, and grow that. And the Knights of Columbus have just been fantastic um, from day one, you know, because we, they weren't the only ones interested. We had several organizations interested in the event and taking over the event. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, the Knights just, they really fit our core values on what we wanted for the event as far as not only a premier um, showcase of the Bemidji community and the resources that we have, but really committed to giving back to the community. And that's exactly what they've been doing, and certainly they've done a great job. One of the things they have going for them, they got a lot of manpower. There's a lot, there's a lot of Knights of Columbus yeah. in town. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the other things, too, that we looked at when we were deciding who to hand this off to and, and transition it to is, do they have the capability and the horsepower to get this thing done without taking a step back? And, and they certainly did have that and do have that. And not only did they not take a step back, they've improved it every year, uh, which was always our goal as well, and it's just a fantastic event. So as you were putting it together and through the first few years, were there any roadblocks, or did this thing go fairly smoothly? You know, it went relatively smoothly. The only roadblocks we really had were, and I wouldn't even call them roadblocks, they were, you know, they're bumps in the road, um, was just us not having ever run an event like that before. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, so it was a lot of baptism by fire and, and learning on the run. But again, you know, what we did is we, we tapped into people that we knew uh, who hadn't been involved in events before, participated in tournaments before, and really picked their brain. You know, what did you like about event ABC and what didn't you like? It's just as importantly, what didn't you like? Um, so we, we put it all together in that manner and, you know, a little bit of um, people allowing us to, to use formats, you know, that they had used um, that worked well. And, and again, just the support of the industry, you know, the fishing industry from Northland Tackle and others. Um, the Petersons were great in, in, on advice and then participating in the event, too. <laughs> There's two ways to do events. You can be in charge of everything and it can be all yours, or you can let smart people who know what they're doing do it, and then it can be good. Well, that definitely fits the spot here because I'm at best a novice angler. <laughs> Uh, I like to get out and fish, but by no means never have uh, participated in a fishing uh, tournament. But we surrounded ourselves with just a fantastic um, uh, committee. Um, and, you know, behind the scenes, we had some people internally here that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, like Chelsea Oldham and Fred Graves, who just were really the glue that kept it all together for us. Um, you know, like you said, in the height of a construction season and then still pulling off a fantastic event. Well, and it, and it continues to be, and I think the thing that I, I find very interesting is, you know, a lot of those uh, tandems that were there for year one will be fishing again in year 20 and have been fishing, you know, other than maybe when a wedding pops up or something, you know, 19 right. out of the 20 events. Isn't that cool? It is. It's really that cool. It's so cool. Yeah, it makes me, I'm smi- we're not in the same room, we're doing this via <laughs> telephone, but I'm, I'm grinning right now, and that's, and it's really neat, you know, and, and the relationships that were developed, you know, is, uh, is fantastic. You know, every year you come back at the, at the rules dinner, rules meeting, and, and just visit with the, with the guys and gals, you know, the anglers, and have developed a lot of friendships throughout the years of people I, I still run into and see and, you know, remember when, you know, and we talk about things like that. I was just talking to a guy, as a matter of fact, yesterday on my trip over to Fargo and back, and he hasn't participated in a few years. Um, but we were chatting, and, and he just was reminiscing, you know, like we are a little bit right now, and still has a really good memories in his head of, of the Walleye Classic, and in particular the community of Bemidji. So what was your role at Krause Anderson when the, when the event began? At the time, I was the director of marketing and business development, um, and and that's really what spurred it. Is again, we were looking for something to to really showcase the community uh, and give back to the community. And you know, two of the first calls I made were to buddies of mine, and that was Tracy Pogue, who now is in that role for Kraus Anderson. Uh, he's our director of marketing and business development as I moved into a new role. And then I called Jimmer Hernisman, and I just said, guys. Uh, we want to do this, but we can't do it without people like you that have participated in in similar events, um, and also just you know real pillars in the in the industry. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, what is your role these days at Cross Anderson? Well, a few years back, they decided to put me into more of an operations role and a leadership role. So now I'm uh, vice president, director of operations, leading our our Bemidji team um, here in in this area. How many uh, people do you have in the Bemidji squad? Well, you know, it varies depending upon uh, how much we've got going out in the field at yeah. the time. But uh, we'll typically run between, you know, 
55 to 75 people, including, you know, our carpenters, laborers, et cetera, out in the field, and then our office staff. Um, at our peak, we've had 83 people out of this office uh, spread throughout the United, uh, spread throughout the state, as well as we do work in, you know, neighboring states like North and South Dakota and Wisconsin from time to time as well. Yeah, Krause and- Anderson just is... Our, Go ahead. Yeah, just our Bemidji office. Okay. Where we work nationally as a company. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to say. Krauss Anderson is a national company, but yet uh, really uh, seems to have a very firm tie to the communities they are in. Very much so, very much so. We're still family-owned by the Inglesma family, which uh, they purchased, uh, well, the, the father, Lloyd, who's no longer with us, purchased the company in 1937 at the you know, kind of the height of the Depression and now has... His family has grown it into a multi-billion-dollar-a-year company that works nationwide. Wow! Um, it so really he comes down to our core purpose, though, Kev, of you know, again, building enduring relationships, very relationship-driven company, and stronger communities. Uh, very much community stewards. That's what really attracted them to me when I joined the company 21 years ago. Was that uh, I've always been involved in volunteer activities and involved in my communities that I lived and worked in, and um, they fit that mold as well, just good corporate corporate citizens. And when it comes to this tournament, even though you guys are not running it anymore, you have maintained a sponsorship uh, uh, yeah. with of the tournament, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We continue to give back and, and support the activities in this community and, and communities throughout, um, wherever we're working, um, where our, wherever our clients are based, again, very relationship driven we really look at when we're giving back is it is it a corporate initiative uh, is it championed by somebody within our team or is it championed by say an industry partner or a client what are some of the uh, uh some of the projects going on in the bemidji area that Krauss anderson is involved in right now well right now you know the biggest ones in the bemidji area are you know stanford health uh, they're one of our top clients we're continue to work on the interior there. As a matter of fact, there was a little piece uh, uh, that came out that Susan Jarvis, the CEO, was talking about. Oh, they have big plans into the future, continue to do a lot of things internally uh, in, in the interior of the building. Uh, just wrapped up a new supportive housing project in, uh, in Bemidji uh, for the Headwaters Regional Development Commission. Um, just started working on a new halfway house over in Cass Lake for the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. And we'll be doing uh, more work, like at Bemidji Steel is building a new facility. We're going to be working with them, working with Riverwood Bank, um, oh, doing a third phase of supportive housing. It's called East Conifer Estates, right next adjacent to the phase we just completed. Um, one of Two of the bigger projects that we have going on right now is uh, Roseau Public Schools is doing a significant expansion and renovation, as well as a what I'm calling kind of a two-thirds version of the Sanford Center. We're doing the Miners Event Convention Center for the city of Virginia, uh, which will open uh, later this fall. Okay. Well, see, we, we learned the history of the Cross anderson Walleye Classic slash Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic, and we get the scoop on all the building projects in the Bemidji area, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's, uh, you know, just a, for a personal note, just very proud of, not only an event and what we did there, but to be part of, uh, of a company that uh, understands the importance of giving back to the communities in which we work, live, and play. 
Well, Bob Fitzgerald has indeed been involved not just in this uh, charitable event. I've seen him in any number of give back uh, roles from coaches to coaching to whatever. Uh, we were glad he had time to spend time with us and, and reminisce about the 20th anniversary of uh, what is now the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic. Uh, Bob Fitzgerald from Krauss Anderson, thank you for taking time today. Really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Kev, and about relationships, we go back a few years as well, eh? <laughs> All the way back to when uh, you were going, I was watching you go 31-0 and with that 84 Beaver team. Uh, it's a lot been, of fun. It's been a long time, yeah. I had hair, and uh, yours, yours wasn't gray. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love that. Well, you take care, my friend. Always a pleasure to catch up and chat with you, and thanks for everything that you do uh, for our community in particular, you know, Fishing Paul Bunyan Country, what a great show. I listen to it very often and try to pick up some tips so I'm, I'm no longer a novice. I'm going to save this recording for uh, negotiation day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> really great to hear from Bob Fitzgerald today. Of course, it's all going to happen Saturday. We've got the rules meeting tomorrow afternoon at the Eagles. The fishing will begin at 7 a.m. Saturday morning, and of course the award ceremony at 4.30. I'll be out there on the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic Facebook page doing some live updates throughout the day and of course awarding the prizes at the end of the day. It's going to be a great day at the waterfront Saturday, the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic 20th Anniversary Celebration. I don't know if you saw the post on the Paul Bunyan Country Facebook page. Steve Sapaniak of Predator Guide Service was out fishing muskies on Mille Lacs earlier this week. And he and his client brought in a 55-inch monster. He'll tell the story and much more next. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Well, we're checking in with Steve Sapaniak uh, of Predator Guide Service uh, about one week into the muskie season now, and Steve's got a great story for us. We're going to get to that in a second. But first up, Steve, you made some predictions on where you thought the muskies might be with that heat for the opener. Did your predictions prove to be true? Uh, pretty much, Kevin. They moved to the secondary structure. They got out of the real shallows, one, one and a half feet to four or five feet of water. And they moved to secondary structure, found a lot of muskies hanging in the 7 to 12-foot range. Uh, we should have had one opening day. Uh, one of my clients had about a 53-incher and hailed his lure. Unfortunately, he set the hook to the side. And I've had him and his brother, Adam and Matthew, for many, many, many years. But, you know, they know to set up. But unfortunately, you know, the excitement got the best. and It got set to the side, and we did not get that fish fish boated but uh yeah they were hanging to the deeper edges and stuff and it was it's been fun it's been an interesting interesting week for sure um did you um hear from other guys were was there a lot of action were they a little lethargic due to the heat what what were you seeing i was seeing a lot of people musky fishing but i didn't i saw one fish boated you know in the higher 40 40 inch range I did not see a lot of people having any much luck at all. It was uh, a lot of guys are fishing way too deep of water and everything. We found our success, like I said, from 7 to about 10, 11 feet, you know. Uh, and it, I talked to a bunch of people, and they, like they said, they saw a few fish, but not much fish happening, you know, not much luck happening. And the same report on different muskie lakes around the area. I know, like, uh, over by Motley, one lake had over 80 muskie ang- anglers on it, and only three fish were caught. You know, so the extreme heat played it took its toll, but uh, if you fish smart and everything, you were lucky. We found milfoil, and that's a whole new story and ball game there, Kevin. Really? Oh, I yeah, bet that it was incredible. Mm, 
Well, I know that you had a good day the other day. You sent me a couple of photos of just a monster fish uh, one of your clients hauled in. Tell us that story. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it was exciting. Uh, we saw one Sunday uh, hanging over by, by the patch of weeds and everything and hanging around the milfoil. Uh, in the same area, we saw a 58-incher last year. So uh, we saw a big one Sunday, and it came in after one of my client's lures, but it never took it. And I was just I was shocked to see this was a truly legitimate 60-inch fish, Kevin. Three of us saw it, and we all, we all agreed this is a 60-inch inch fish. So yesterday, my new guy, Ryan Krebs, came all the way from Dakota. I get him every year, a wonderful guy and a good friend after all these years. We went to the same area to tie into that hopefully 60-inch fish. And about 40 yards away, away from her, uh, Ryan screamed, I've got one. And I turned around, and I see this monster of a head come out of the water, shaking its head and his lure in its mouth and everything. Uh, got, got to the motor and everything because the line was stripping off of his reel. He said, Steve, I'm dang near to the filler. I'm just about out. So I hopped on the trolling motor, got close enough to catch up with it and everything, put the trolling motor back on, back on his uh, rack to sit, get it all the water, and we played catch up with that muskie, Kevin, at least 12 to 15 times. I had to start the big motor and go after it. That big muskie kept diving into the milfoil, and you couldn't see it. And he just kept steady pressure on it. And this battle lasted well over 15 minutes. It was incredible. He didn't horse the fish. I told him that. I said, don't horse it. And he knew better. Uh, we got it finally netted. It was close to 20 minutes after the first initial hit. Got her netted. And as soon as I got it in the net, I hollered. I said, give me a hand. We got her in the boat. Kevin, from back to belly, she was over 16 inches wide. When, my, when Ryan grabbed it to hold it up for a horizontal picture, I had to just about help him. She was that heavy. Uh, the head was one of the giant, most giant heads I've ever seen. Just a hair all under probably the size of a five-gallon pail, the bottom of a five-gallon pail. We got her on the bump board and measured her. She was a hair over 55 inches, and I've handled thousands of muskies from the 30-pound range and, and about 50 of them that are in the 40-pound class. And I even my own personal best, 48 pounds, was small compared to this one. We knew she was well over 50 inches. So we took a lot of good pictures. We put her back in the water. I held on to her to keep her head upright with my net handle. I took the handle off, and Ryan pumped her back and forth to get her going. I took the handle, and I, I hit her right between the eyes, not hard, but enough to get her going. He said, that did something. She tensed up. So he pumped her back and forth and everything, and I let her have it on the head uh, lightly twice more with the handle of my uh, net, and she tensed up, and she took off like a rocket. You know, that confirmed our theory, though, you know, that the way she kept going into the milfoil, because I told Ryan, I said, these muskies love the milfoil. I said, it's so thick, it's like a carpet. And we also realized, too, that underneath the milfoil, Kevin, it's much cooler water, because the sunlight can't make it through, it's darn near black. And the muskies, that's what we did. We kept on throwing our late baits over the milfoil and everything. We had a couple more follows, nothing else hit. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. We got the first 50-pounder on Malax Lake this year. And uh, you know what? It's a story that I might write for Outdoor News, too. <laughs> well, I would if I were you, for sure. Well, Steve, you sent me some pictures. We will get those posted uh, on uh, on the Paul Bunyan Country Facebook page um, in, today or tomorrow, for sure, so people can take a look at those pictures and see how big that fish really was. Because, yeah, it's one of the bigger ones I've seen, for sure. Well, I appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you. What else are you hearing uh, regarding uh, muskies or other species out on the lake? 
Well, you know, I've uh, been seeing a lot of anglers. They had a tournament up here for walleye tournament, and uh, it was incredible. I've seen a lot of anglers finally catching up, catching up and realizing, you know, that there's walleyes in the weeds. I've seen people fishing this tournament all over the different bays, Cove Bay, Wacom Bay, uh, Vineland Bay had a bunch of anglers. And it was interesting because every angler had these panoptics. It's a garment feature where you can actually see real-time fish. It shows the fish. They weren't allowed to use a live bait you know, or anything like that, just plastics. And I believe the leader had, uh, the last day, he had close to 40 pounds of uh, fish, which was pretty exciting. You know, they can t- take as many walleye as they wanted. So that was a great tournament. Uh, we're starting to catch some nice northern pike in Mille Lacs. Like, it's exciting, uh, especially with the hot water temperatures, you know, 72, 73 degrees. But the pike are starting to go, which is good. Saw the biggest smallmouth of my life. It was on Sunday. One of my gentlemen, uh, we were fishing, the brothers again, we were fishing, and he hollered out, Steve, take a look over here. And he was figure-eighting a... 20, I figured 25, 24, 25-inch smallmouth bass. It figure-eighted that spitterbait 10 times and went around trying to get that little tail, teaser tail. All my lures got modifications on them, and my spitterbait's got a teaser tail. And I tell you what, if that fish ever bit Kevin, I'm pretty sure that would be the new state record. So that's pretty much the update, what's going on with the big pond. Wow. Um have you noticed, uh, I mean, I know the water level's got to be low there. Has it made affected the way the fish are behaving? Oh, definitely. You know, you're starting to find these fish go to different areas and that they've never gone before, especially with the, with the water temperatures being, or excuse me, water level being low and water temperatures being so high. You know, that, uh, that area that uh, we love to fish early in the season, you know, like I said before, the shallow waters, it's become the deeper waters now. And I believe you're going to see these muskies here and all, you know, species of fish moving to deeper water. I'm seeing like Becker Flat over there by Shabushkin Bay that uh, is right across the casino landing from the casino, of course. We call it the casino landing, excuse me. But Becker Flat, the walleyes are stacked up like cordwood, three feet off the bottom. They're thick all around the flat. So that's deeper water. So they move to the deeper water. Usually it doesn't happen until like the end of June. You're already there. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to have some interesting fishing, you know, and stuff. And if you play your cards right, you should be able to get on top of them. Steve, what would you recommend people do this weekend if they hit the water? Oh, you know, I tell you, it's so it's such a good time right now. I would definitely go walleye fishing. You can still keep, uh, catch them. You can't keep them. Uh, while you're walleye fishing, I would have uh, some plastics all set up for smallmouth fishing. It is just peak smallmouth fishing right now. They're having a blast. I know a lot of people, Kevin, using three- to four-inch sucker minnows for smallmouth fishing and just killing them. And leeches work really good, too, you know. You fish them in the same area you're fishing uh, walleyes. Right now, uh, over by Indian Point, is just one hell of a good bite. It's hot as heck and everything. Go after small uh, pike. If you want, go after some bigger pike. Like I said, they're starting to turn on. And if you're crazy enough to chase the big muskies, well, let me <laughs> say this, folks. Don't expect it to be a shark attack. If you get a love tap, set the hook as hard as you can. Okay. Well, Steve, if people want to uh, get one of those, uh, you know, 55-inch muskies and uh, <laughs> see if you can get them for them, how do they go about getting li- lined up with a trip this summer? <laughs> well, just check out my website, folks. My telephone number is on it. Uh, check out all one word predatorguideservice.com, predatorguideservice.com. You'll see some uh, muskies up to the high 40-pound class. Give me a call. would love to get uh, take a – give me a call. Let me have the opportunity to take you out and show you a good time. And with the good Lord willing, you know, maybe we'll boat a couple 50-pounders too. We'll see. Steve, it's always great having you on the show. Thanks for taking the time today. 
My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, holy cow. And today we are heading down to the Brainerd Lakes area and checking in with Mark Bacigalupe from the Brainerd Area Fisheries Office. This week's Lake of the Week, Horseshoe Lake. You know, there's a lot of horseshoe lakes in your area, as I was trying to uh, find the, the one that I'd wanted on the map. This one is probably the biggest one. Uh, so this one's about a 922 acres. The other ones are much smaller than that. So um, that's the one we're looking for. And for those, Mark, who uh, are not as familiar with the Brainerd area as, as you and some of our Brainerd listeners are, whereabouts is this uh, Horseshoe Lake that we're talking about? Yeah, Horseshoe Lake is also known as Sandbar Lake because there's a big sandbar that divides two of the basins and I suppose kind of makes the horseshoe shape. But it's, uh, you know, halfway between... Cross Lake to the north and Merrifield to the south on Highway 3. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know where, where Big Pelican Lake is um, mm-hmm. east out of, out of Breezy Point. So it's uh, it's just east, east of Pelican Lake and Breezy Point okay. as well. Yeah, and that big sandbar does uh, turn it into two distinct bays, most certainly. Uh, the, uh, it looks to me a west and an east bay. Um, but uh, what what kind of a lake is it? What are we going to find there? Well, like a lot of the lakes in the county, it's really sandy. You know, Lakeshore residents love the sand, and uh, um, so you you do you do have that base. Um, there is a, a little bit of rock to be found. Um, you see some nice uh, bulrush, bulrush stands out there that uh, is a feature people are keying on at certain times of the year. Um, and, yeah, the, each, each basin has its own uh, little characteristics that are interesting. Seems to be a pretty good lake to find yourself some largemouth. Yep, largemouth bass is a kind of a featured species. People go there. Um, has higher numbers of northern pike, and and people have fun chasing flags there in the winter, and uh, could do some trolling as well. Um, there are a few walleyes in the lake um, as well, and um, so it's it's really nice clear water, and that's one of the things you see a lot of in in the Brainerd area, and uh, it's something you think about when you're approaching the lake. Yeah, if you're a walleye angler, that's probably not going to be your number one choice. But if you catch a walleye there, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good size. The average catch for the few walleyes that are in there are really up there. Yeah, you you see that sometimes where a few of those walleyes are persisting and they just get big. And uh, they must be smart or something. And they, <laughs> <laughs> that's why they've been been there a while. Um, it, it's it's also um, there's some nice panfish in the lake, uh, crappies and bluegills, um, and uh, one of the interesting things of the lake is there's there's a bay on the uh, in the we're talking about the western basin. There's a bay on the south side that uh, in the early spring, you know, people used to really kind of flock to that area where. Uh, it's not a spawning area, but it was uh, an early season warm-up area, and uh, that issue was that area was actually blocked to fishing for a number of years. Well, we've recently got a rule change, um, you know, working through the the, pro- the rule change process where that is open and available to f- to pan fishermen again. Um, but uh, we figured out that the the road right 
uh, road right of way um, does not get you access to the lake, so you do have to fish um, uh, from to that area from a boat, um, and you know that is allowed. And we just ask people to to be uh, you know polite and, and considerate of the of the kind of the tight quarters that that you have there. Okay, yeah, they're, they they do look to be pretty tight down there. Um. So that's uh, so it's it's got all the you know uh, like most lakes that have a lot of bass and northerns. You mentioned the bluegills and the crappies. Um, good sizes, good populations, healthy. Yeah, we, we've been working on horseshoe for a while, trying to rebound some of the sizes there. We had some larger numbers of yellow bullheads uh, for a period of time. We're trying to work through that a little bit. Um, and uh you know that's coming along but it does take time and and in the in the meantime you know those uh bass are getting people through uh those higher numbers of pike um can be entertaining but we like to see a little better size structure from those fish and and that takes some time as well was this like part of the uh the new panfish initiative or not this one is not uh a new panfish reg but we do have that northern pike uh new zone regu- regulation where 22 to 26 inches have to be released so we're hoping that some of those pike can get into that protected slot and grow grow past it and have a nicer harvest opportunity on the on the on the larger side than when they do get through that does that uh, like get a lot of a uh, lot of uh, traction a lot of people out there angling you know, I think that it was popular for a while, and then it's kind of gone a little bit quieter uh, for a period of time. And, and uh, you know, some people like it that way. And then uh, if you know the spots there, you can kind of have them to yourself at times, too. So, Is it uh, well-developed, a lot of uh, houses, a lot of uh, resorts, or not so much? Good number of houses out there, and uh, I'm not aware of uh, current... Uh, you know, we might have to might have to edit that, Kevin. Okay. There, there is a resort on there called Robido Resort. Okay, Robido Resort. Okay. Um, and like you said, there, it doesn't get a a ton of pressure on it. Anything on there that concerns you as far as uh, long term issues? Yeah, we're working on Horseshoe Lake. We'd like to get those yellow bullhead numbers down. I mean, we've had some past efforts with the Lake Association trying to work through those. We've actually stocked some yellow perch in that lake when they are available. That's a a fairly rare thing, trying to get that forage base built up, and uh, uh, that that helps uh, the size structure of all the other fish there. And it looks like the public access is on the south end of the East Bay. If we want to give it a try, how do we get there? Yeah, if you're coming from Brainerd or Merrifield, you're you are coming up Highway Three there, and uh, you'd be looking for a right turn on Mission Park Drive, right before the Sportsman Store. And like you said, it's on the south side of the of that East Basin. All right. Anything else we should know about before we uh, go to the lake? And Mark, anything else we should know about the lake before we head over there? No, just a, a nice, peaceful place to. Fish over there, multi-species fisheries, clear water. Um, um, look for those vegetated areas and uh, 
be respectful of the of the tight quarters and some of the bays there. And one of the things uh, that you didn't bring up, so I'm assuming, is there is no AIS in there as of now that we're aware of. That's correct. So let's be very, very careful when we go on that on that lake. We want to save as many of those waters as we can. That's right. Mark Batchigalupe, the Brainerd Area Fisheries Supervisor, thanks for joining us today and giving us the details on Horseshoe Lake. Yeah, thanks for having me again. That's going to do it for today. Of course, the Knights of Columbus Walleye Classic is coming up Saturday. We've talked a lot about it this week, but we go a little bit more general tomorrow and get a lot of people ready for fishing this weekend. And we hear from Jason Freed of Leisure Outdoor Adventures, Charlie Warreth from Charlie's Gone Fishing Guide Service, and Mandy Urich. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the podcast. So you can get all kinds of bonus content and listen whenever you want to. You can do it at Podcast One or on the Pod MN app. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. It's crazy to think that a few weeks ago we were talking about whether or not Tua Tagovailoa should consider retiring. After two concussions and worldwide debates on player safety and NFL culpability, Tua has done nothing but go back to work and currently has the Dolphins riding a three-game win streak and one loss behind the division-favorite Buffalo Bills. While everyone was yapping about the end of his career, Tua Tagovailoa said he'll decide when it's time. And clearly, he's not ready to hang up the cleats. Hi, this is Chris Howard from the Plugged In with Chris Howard podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, MMA, boxing, and golf. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.